the lights are brighter on Sunday night because these guys know that every other team has played. They're all watching, and these guys are keenly aware of that. And so, um, you know, I think this is going to be a really good game. Hey, everybody. Chris Havery with you on a special Sunday night football edition of Chargers Weekly. A star-studded lineup including NBC's Al Michaels, Michelle Tafoya, Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy, Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and Sam Farmer of the LA Times will preview Chargers Steelers and we'll kick things off with NBC's Peter King. All right, my first guest, the gold standard of pro football writing, his Football Morning in America column, appointment reading on Monday mornings. NBC's Peter King joins me here on Chargers Weekly. And Peter, we've got quite the treat in Pittsburgh waiting for us on Sunday Night Football. How are you, sir? Everything's going great. How about you? Doing very well. Uh, I want to start with your column on Monday because you spoke to Ken Wisenhunt about Philip Rivers' record-setting day, 25 consecutive completions. And I think a lot of people like Coach Wisenhunt didn't even realize that he was 19 of 19 at the half. Uh, I heard the guys from from PTI talking about how it's kind of like a no-hitter because there were some throws in there where receivers had to make some some pretty impressive catches. Uh, what did you think of Phillip's performance? I mean, it's, I find it really amazing when you think about this that you know, the two guys at the end of the 2005 season, you know, who the San Diego Chargers had to consider, what are we going to do with quarterback? We got one guy who we drafted number one a year and a half prior to that. And, you know, in the first round who we like, and we got another guy we like who in the last game of the season, you know, got a really significant shoulder injury that requires surgery. So what do we do? So they did the logical thing, the smart thing, I think, over time. And they picked Philip Rivers and they let Drew Brees go out and seek his fortune. And what I find so interesting is that here's the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, obviously sitting there at the top of the uh, NFC South. And you've got the Los Angeles Chargers, you know, contending for the division lead in the AFC West. And they're both being led by uh, old quarterbacks who are without any question in each case, each having their best year. Mm. I just, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a, a stereo great story. And, and what else is so cool about it is what I really like is that Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers never let this, sort of become a divide in their relationship no. or in their friendship. Um, they have true admiration for each other. And uh, whenever they get together in their little training camp visits, uh, it's just like old times. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like it was back in the summer of 2004, the summer of 2005 in training camp where uh, they were battling each other uh, to to start at quarterback for the Chargers, but it was never a battle that turned either unfriendly or or nasty in any way. Because these are two. I mean, I, I I'll just say this: you know, of all the players I cover right now in the NFL, if you ask me, name me the ten like best people, uh, you know, on and off the field, guys who do things for for others off the field and guys who are just good human beings. 
Uh, these guys would be in the top 10 easy uh, and maybe in the top two. They're tremendous guys. And I think Rivers this year, it's, it's so cool to watch him really the last two years. I think, I think since the Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys a year ago, Oh yeah. Um, to just watch watch how he's played over those seventeen games, and he's just he's ridiculously he's out of control. Great, and uh, so I think it's it's a cool time in his life, and it's kind of a cool time to root for the Chargers. And you mentioned this in your column, Peter. They're thirteen and four since that Thanksgiving game, and I think the last time I spoke with you was right before that game. You had Philip on your podcast a couple of weeks ago. And for Chargers fans that have not listened to it, please do yourself a favor and do it. Uh, he said a lot of interesting things. What intrigued you most about that conversation, Peter? Um, I think just the fact that I, I don't know if you if if it if it comes across at least to you, but I mean, so you're around him a lot, and and I think people who aren't around him a lot, you know, like I I. I always say this to people, you know, there's some like big stars in the NFL who I think America simply doesn't don't know. Mm -hmm. And, and I think Philip Rivers is one of those guys and maybe the premier guy, but I, I always say to people just, I mean, if you have a chance and that's one of the, one of the things I told a bunch of people, I said, just listen to Philip Rivers for 26 minutes in this thing. If you don't walk away from that, from that listening experience on my podcast, and look, I'm not trying to promote my podcast. I'm really not. I'm just simply saying that if you listen to him and don't come away thinking, I wish that at one point in my life, I could have played on an athletic team with that guy. I think you're nuts. I mean, you know, he's everything that's good about sports and everything that's unselfish about sports. And I always, I find the really interesting thing about Philip Rivers that um, I had him, I don't know what it was, like three years ago on the podcast. It was when it was coming down to, to the choice, you know, the voters in San Diego, you know, vote for this new stadium or not vote for it or whatever. And Philip Rivers was passionate about why the stadium should be built. And he talked about, look what downtown San Diego's done for the Padres, all that stuff. And, and, and it was, and it was good. He was, he was really, uh, he was really full of passion that day, but then first training in Costa Mesa. Now they're the Los Angeles chargers. And he talks evangelically about how great it's going to be in orange County and then in LA and, and all that. And so, you know, and he and he means it. He he's does. not he's not he's not phonying it up at all. You know, he says, Hey, this is gonna be great and I think I think he's just uh I think he's just a, a, a really fun human being and a good, passionate guy and, and that's a guy I'd wanna be the quarterback of the team that I root for. And I don't want to give anything away with that conversation, but I'll just say that when he talked about that AFC championship game and and leading up to it and talking to his family and talking to his mom, uh, I thought that part was the the top for me in in a a lot of different directions that you guys went. But Peter, let's move. You know what? The the one the one thing I'll I'll just the one point I'll make about that one that I thought was so interesting. I, I, I phoned Nick Hardwick 
before doing this, and I was talking to him about Philip. And obviously, everybody knows that Nick Hardwick snapped the ball 106 games to. Well, not everybody knows, but he he snapped the ball 106 games to Philip Rivers, and and they're really good pals, and and all that. And he's a great guy. And and one of the things that Hardwick said to me is that, I mean, he was he was so crestfallen, and he called his mother and said, "Mom, I'm, I, it's the biggest game of my life. I'm not going to get to play in it." And and it was like. You know what it reminded me of? Like I was hurt once for a soccer game that I played in high school in yeah. Connecticut in my in my glory days back in the seventies. Couldn't play, and it reminds me just of what I said to my parents. Oh my God, this is the biggest soccer! I I can't play. Yeah, I can't, and I was I was like I was almost bawling, and I could just I could hear it was the same thing with Philip Rivers because he's so. He's so passionate about about playing football. Uh, it was such a good conversation. So Chargers fans, if you haven't listened to it, please go find Peter's podcast and listen to that conversation. Uh, Peter, let's move to Pittsburgh. Uh, there's so much meat on the bone here. Uh, you got the class of 2004. You got brothers, the Pouncey brothers going head to head. You got the Watt brothers going head to head. What are you gravitating towards first in this one? I, I mean, you know, this is, I, I agree with you. This is a totally, totally fascinating game. In no particular order, the three things that I think are most interesting. Um, number one, um, you know, if the season ended today, it would be Chargers at Steelers week 13, then Chargers at Steelers wild card week five weeks later. Wow. Um, and, and that is kind of interesting because these are teams that don't play each other every year. They do not. And now they could play each other twice in like 33 days or something like that. That's, that's one of the things that interests me. The second thing is that, so I, I really believe right now that this chargers team is capable, capable over a game defensively. And I want to see how Pittsburgh blocks Ingram and Bosa it really looks like Bosa is getting uh, into gear and and all that. So I I kind of want to see that. And then lastly, you know, to me, I think one of the one of the things when you look at Pittsburgh's defense, I thought that it was, uh, you know, without Ryan Shazier, they were really going to struggle. But I found it very interesting watching the game last Sunday, the Steelers at Denver. In the middle of the third quarter, Tony Romo said that he thinks that Pittsburgh right now is the most complete team in the AFC. And so that really, I mean, Tony Romo is Joe film guy. I mean, he watches a lot. I I know of which I speak there. And so he's watching every team. And for him to think, and, and again, look, obviously, 70 minutes later, would he be saying the same thing when Ben Roethlisberger is throwing an interception to a defensive tackle? Um, maybe not. I don't know. But but the Pittsburgh has rebounded from a year ago, the tragedy involving Ryan Chazier, uh and, and the end of his career, apparently. Um, and they have rebuilt a pretty good defense. So I think it's going to be a, a great test for the Chargers uh, and I, I, I think it's going to be a fabulous game. 
Peter, I want to get your take on this because we've seen centers go to teams and have immediate impacts. I think the first that comes to mind for me is like Alex Mack going to Atlanta a few years ago. Yeah. And what Mike Pouncey has given to this offense, I don't think can be understated because you look at you know, Melvin Gordon's all-pro season right now and, and just the protection that Phillip's been getting. He'll face his brother across the field. They have nine Pro Bowl appearances between the two of them. But when you look at the landscape of free agents this past season and the current impact they're having on their new teams, I don't know if there's one that's having a bigger impact than Mike Pouncey. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things when I look at, at Pouncey right now I mean, I don't think he's, uh, you know, I don't think he's all pro uh, level right now, but I do think that he steadied uh, a line that really needed uh, a strong guy in the pivot. Um, And I think that has been vitally important for them. Um, He's not allowed seepage on pass plays which I think is really, really important because even though Rivers does get rid of the ball quickly, um, you need to make sure with so many good defensive tackles playing now that the middle of your line can hold up. Uh, And he's done a very good job there. But I just think the fact that he's a veteran guy who comes in and basically plays a position that was so desperately needed uh, I, I, I think that's been a that's been really a great thing for the Chargers. Peter, last thing for you, the Chargers thirteen and four since Thanksgiving, and Anthony Lynn deserves much of that credit, and he has a, an unmatched coaching tree. When, when you talk about his his coaching career, Bill Walsh identified him as a coach. Uh, learned from Mike Shanahan, Bill Parcells. Uh, what do you yeah. think of the job that Coach Lynn has done here so far in Los Angeles? I realize that there's much to be written this second season, but he, he certainly has has developed a culture here, and, and guys are believing inside that locker room. You know, I think it's. I think he's been terrific. Um, not only, um, n- not only sort of handling his team, but I think in establishing a toughness, and that comes from in part, uh, you know, coaching under Parcells, and 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 as a player too, he was a he was a real hard nosed guy, and and I think that has been good, and I also think. I think a good coach lets his coaches coach. If you hire somebody to coach, you let them coach and you, uh, you, you know, you have input to be sure. But, but I think, uh, I think that, that he's allowed Ken Wisenhunt, uh, you know, with some reminders, Hey, let, listen, let's, I want to run the ball. And, and Wisenhunt knows that and he wants to run it too. But I, and there've been some reminders about that in the first couple of years, but I think they have really gotten along well. Uh, and I, I think that one of the strengths of a really good coach is hiring good coaches, letting them coach, and he's done that. I think some of the things he's done aside from that, um, I think he has set a really, a really good standard with his team, and he's had smart people. You know, he's had Kobe Bryant come in, obviously. Uh, he's, I think he knows how to get because he's been sitting in the chair of the 53 guys in that room. Uh, I I think he knows how to get the most out of his players. 
he's he has seen in his career what works and he's seen in his career what hasn't worked uh and i think he's really pressed all the right buttons and and i think the combination of him you know and philip rivers playing so well i think it's been a it's been a great thing for this franchise early on you know in their new tenure in la Peter King, NBC. Peter, I always learn something when I talk to you. I, I really can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, we got a treat on Sunday, and I hope to talk to you down the line. Sounds great, Chris. Great being on with you. All right, before we get to Michelle Tafoya, I want to tell you that the LA Chargers rely on Bose QC35 headphones too to black out distractions and focus on what matters most. The same powerful noise-canceling technology helps you concentrate on your music, your work, Maybe this podcast or whatever you're passionate about. Learn more at Bose.com slash Chargers. Bose, the official headphones of the LA Chargers. All right, my next guest will be on the sidelines this Sunday night when the Chargers take on the Steelers from Heinz Field. NBC's Michelle Tafoya, one of the very best in this business, joins me on Chargers Weekly. And Michelle, we're excited to see you in Pittsburgh on Sunday. How are you? I'm good. And uh, um, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm hoping the weather is you know, tolerable. I hope it's Southern California like. We'll see. De- December in Pittsburgh, you never, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But you, you know, never know. Michelle, this one got flexed. So this wasn't originally on the, the Sunday night football schedule. And I think you have to go back to December of 2014. That was the last time the Chargers played on Sunday night. And, and only five Chargers currently on that active roster. How enjoyable is that process for you of digging into a new team and working a game featuring a team that, that you, Al and Chris haven't seen in a while? It's a challenge, but it is fun. Um, you know, we, we get used to seeing kind of the usual suspects on Sunday night football. So this is kind of a surprise one for us. I don't think any of us expected the chargers uh, to be kind of this, the story that they are. So this is really fun. Um, and like you said, some of the guys we've known, cause Antonio Gates has been there since I was eight, I think, and uh, and <laughs> Philip Rivers, you know, is one of those guys that everyone in the NFL loves. So this will be fun. There's no shortage of storylines either, Michelle. You talk about the quarterbacks, class of 2004. You got playoff positioning. You got a pair of brothers going head to head. Where does it start for you in the storylines department? Well, you do look at all the obvious ones, and then we, we as a crew ask ourselves, how do we want to approach these? You know, do, who do I want to talk to during the week? So I, I kind of have my own checklist of players that I'm going to talk to this week and uh, on both teams, and we sort of approach it, you know, how do we want to do this? How do we want to cover, cover the brother's angle? That sort of thing. So um, it, it's, it's, we dig into everything. No stone is unturned on Sunday Night Football, and that's the way we like it. Quarterback class of 2004, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, 7th and 8th respectively all-time in passing yards. Does it surprise you at all, Michelle, that both players are playing at such a high level in year 15? Phillip just set that single-game consecutive completions record. You know what? Like I said before, everyone loves Phillip Rivers, and I've seen exceptional play out of this guy so many times. That streak the other day was kind of cool. You know, it was the, it was the passing cool. streak was, was, was really neat to see. Very unexpected. I, those are the kinds of things that I think are just um, good surprises. And, you know, when you see Tom Brady tweeting out something about it and, and you know, Phillip's just one of those guys who's never, I don't think, gotten his due because of probably because of where he plays and probably because of the lack of success uh, that this that the, the Chargers have had over the course of time. I mean, look, he's played in some playoff games. He played injured in a playoff game years ago. So there is he has the stuff. 
Um, but this might be a, a little bit more. This is, it's great to have him on national television in prime time to let people know what this guy's all about. And you can't take these games for granted, Michelle, because you know Ben and Phillip, they're not in the same division. They don't play each other every year. This is the, the year that the Chargers played the AFC North. So it could be the last time that they share a field together is completely possible. Yeah, it is, unless they meet up in the playoffs. But yes, that's true. This year, you're right. You're right. This year is could definitely be that. You know, we don't know how much longer Ben's going to hang around. Um, it, I guess we could say the same same for Philip. Although, I get the sense that that Ben has taken a little bit more of a physical beating and might might decide to step down sooner than than Philip does. But you're right. It's it's that's what makes this one unique, and it makes it really interesting because, like you said similar age, similar thing, all that, but they are very, I think, different kinds of quarterbacks in their personalities, in their strengths. Um, and so I just, I, that part of the matchup is, is really fun. No, they're not on the field at the same time. We get that part of it, but you can't help but compare, you know, here comes the Pittsburgh offense. What's Ben going to do? How's he going to escape, you know, the, the rush this time? And how's he going to extend the play? Here comes Phillip. What, what kind of dime is he going to drop? Who's he going to put it on this time? You know, what are they going to do? So it's um, it, it's it's a really interesting pair of guys to see, and like you said, you don't see it very often. You know, Michelle, I talked to Derek Watt earlier this week for our Backstage Chargers podcast, and of course he's going to face his brother TJ. It's the first time that they've ever faced off as opponents. And of course, Mike and Marquise Pouncey, they're not going to be on the field together, but but two starting centers playing at a high level. We've seen Peyton and Eli. I think that's the, the gold standard when you talk about brothers on a national stage. But can you remember a game where you've had a, a pair of brothers that really all four are prominent on their football teams? You know, I, I feel like, and I wish I had thought about this earlier, because I feel like earlier this season we did have a pair of brothers, and it's uh, and I'm trying to remember who it was. They were offensive linemen, and it'll come to me eventually. But you're right, this is a little bit different. I mean, the Watt family is kind of special in the NFL. They are a special kind of player. Um, they're very special people. I can speak to that. I've gotten to know JJ fairly well and that we all know what kind of guy he is. Um, so that one's fun. And the fact that they do step on the field at the same time, you know, you've got an offense and a defensive player. That's fun. The Pounties have done it before. Um, but so it's kind of nothing new for them, but it's still, it's still fun to have these twins you know, uh, playing the same position on the field at the, for the same game. So that's another interesting little kind of underlying story. You know what adds to that too, Michelle? The fact that all three brothers are on AFC teams that are currently in a position to get in the playoffs. I think as a brother unit, they're 23-9-1 this year. So not only you have three brothers in the NFL, you have three brothers on teams that look to be in playoff position, which is pretty remarkable. I always go back to what Mike Tomlin said uh, when he first got uh, Watt on his team. <laughs> you know, there's JJ, there's TJ. There, anyway, he said everybody needs a Watt, and I think he's right because <laughs> he's not lying. You know, they are. He's not. I mean, these are guys that work extremely hard. They don't take anything off. Uh, they're passionate. They're great teammates, and so you, and and what's neat about these three is that they all want to live near each other when it's all said and done. I think they're building now. They've got a big plot of land out in Wisconsin, and you could just see these guys growing old together, all their kids playing together, their wives being buddies and, and just hunting together and all that stuff out in Wisconsin. That's how close this family is, and it's, um, it's really 
unusual and neat to see. It's awesome. Yeah, Derek said they're all on a group chat this week, and uh, it'll probably get a little heated as, as the week progresses. But, uh, you know, TJ has 10 sacks on the year. Chargers got a big boost getting Joey Bosa back a couple of weeks ago. He sacked Josh Rosen yeah. twice last Sunday. How much better does he make this defense, Michelle, that already boasts Pro Bowl caliber players, talking about Melvin Ingram, Casey Hayward, and the rookie Derwin James? Yeah, I think Derwin James has been a really fun surprise and I, I think is a um, a legitimate part of the conversation for Defensive Rookie of the Year. But anytime you add uh, to the front level, that first level of defense, a, a guy the caliber of Joey, Joey Boza, and you're getting him at just the right time, you know, he's he's had to overcome the injury, he's back, um, assuming that he can play even at 90% Joey Boza is better than no Joey Boza at all, and better than a lot of defensive linemen in the league as it is. So, yeah, I think it's a huge addition um, to what you said, to, to players on all three levels that are really making a difference, making an impact. It's not going to be easy for Pittsburgh. And I realize the Cardinals are struggling this year, but they held Arizona to 25 total yards in the second half of that game. So defense looks to be clicking a little bit. It, it is. It is crazy just because it's an NFL team. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're all paid the same, and they're all talented. Michelle, you had an opportunity to see these Steelers up close in Pittsburgh early in the year. I know they lost to the Ravens 26-14, but since then they've been hot. They, they won six straight up until last Sunday. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you think for the Chargers going to Pittsburgh at night at Heinz Field? I think that's what, what you just said. At Pittsburgh, at night, Heinz Field. It's a, it's a different kind of crowd, and they, are, they love their Steelers. And Every home team does, but this is a tradition, you know, and if the weather's icky or whatever, this is not a hospitable place to play. This is not going into a dome. This is this is going into hostile territory, and it's a place where on this Pittsburgh team, there is there are a good number of guys on that team who have been together for a long time, and that Mike Tomlin's been there for a long time. Funny thing, when we got there earlier this year, and, and things, you know, they sputtered out of the gate, the Steelers, and of course, every time that happens, you go, oh, this is the year Tomlin's on the hot seat. <laughs> yep. Tomlin just, he never wavers. He never, he just is as steady as they come. He just is, he just flatline, even though he's an emotional and a really fun guy to talk to. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, let those things bother him. He doesn't get ruffled. He, the process stays the same. He stays the same. And here you are, they're looking at a playoff berth again, um, and I think that, you know, you've got a quarterback who's really motivated by the fact that he knows he's facing, I'm not saying this is his last year, but last year we thought he might be retiring at the end of the season. We don't know what's in Ben's mind, but I think he's very, very, very motivated. And, um, and that defense is always motivated. So it is not going to be easier for the Chargers. Having said that, look, there is no reason they can't go in there and win. I think they're talented enough to do that. I'm sure they're going to be missing – uh, you know, they're, they're running back and it, it's, it's, you've got a nice little backup in the rookie. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that Austin Eckler can't get them what they need, but Melvin Gordon is special and, and that hurts them. But you know what? They'll find a way around it. Yeah. Melvin's having an all pro season over 1200 yeah. yards total from scrimmage, 13 total touchdowns. But Michelle, you know, I, I go back to, there was a five week stretch where this Chargers team was on the road. They were in Cleveland, they were in London, they went to Seattle, they went to Oakland and they went 4-0, and so I think having that past experience at least prepares you for a hostile environment. It doesn't mean it's going to be easier, but at least it prepares you for what to expect on Sunday. 
it not only did it prepare them for what to expect, but it also showed them and gave them proof that they can win in those situations. And so, yeah, um, Pittsburgh's different, but, but, you know, Oakland's not an easy place, although the, the team is not uh, nearly as formidable as, as most teams this year, but um, still, those are road trips. Those are road games. You're facing fans as well as teams. And so you can go in there and be successful. And, uh, you know, this, this, Chargers team is kind of on this interesting role right now. And, and uh, even when Gordon got injured last week, Eckler came in there and did what they needed to do. And then, you know, you've got Keenan Allen who's playing really well. And, and a lot of these weapons on offense for Phillip and Phillip is just, honestly, I have seen him play some brilliant football. He just doesn't get in the conversation enough because they haven't gone to the Super Bowl because they, you know, they, they're in San Diego. They're kind of that little brother to the, Rams thing, but this is a good night for them to to come out and show the country who they are and what they're made of. Michelle, we'll get you out here on this. You've had the opportunity to see a lot of these elite AFC teams up close this season. Talked about the Chargers as of now, eight and three with five games to play in December. How do you think this team measures up to what you've seen from the likes of the Steelers, the the Chiefs, the Patriots and company entering week 13? I would say we're going to put the Chiefs in their own little category because they're like a little video game going on on offense over there. Sure. It's amazing to watch, and it is it is a special group of talent, a special you know roster. It's really different. But um, we're going to find out. I think this is a really good litmus test for the Chargers to see how they compare. Um, you know, look, all of those teams you just mentioned have their issues. They all have their weaknesses and strengths. But we're now heading into this final uh, kind of quarter of the season, if you will, where it, it's the fourth quarter, and this is where teams prove what they're made of, what they've got, and what they're going to do with it, and their mindset and their abilities mentally to to take on these tests and prove, you know, look, we've got talent, you've got talent, you've got the home field, we don't, but we really want to win, and so do you. Now, who's going to go out there and execute? Who's going to have the best game plan? Who's going to win the coaching um, chess match? All those things get put to the test, and it's it's the lights are brighter on Sunday night because these guys know that every other team has played except for the Monday night teams, and they're all they've all gone home and they're turning on their TVs, yeah, and everyone's watching. turning on their TVs. They're all watching, and these guys are keenly aware of that. And so, um, you know, they're gonna. I think this is gonna be a really good game. We can't wait. Michelle Tafoya, NBC Center Night Football. Michelle, great stuff. Thank you so much for your time, and we really look forward to seeing Thank you, you on Sunday. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, it's a big game when my next guest is at the Hope Performance Center. (laughs) Sam Farmer, Los Angeles Times. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Great to see you. So the last two weeks I've seen you. We saw you at StubHub Center. Yeah. With the Chargers, beat the Cardinals 45-10. Didn't start so great, but 45 unanswered. Have you seen anything like that? No. You know, there was something, there was like this casual feel to Phillip and the way he was throwing the ball. To me, it looks like a guy throwing darts. And, you know, there there were such, those were spirals that could just cut glass. Everything was tight, uh, thrown into tight, you know, and somebody on on Twitter was saying, you know, it was a dink and dunk game. It didn't feel like a dink and dunk game to me at all. It felt like a perfectly controlled passing attack where he went deep when he needed to go deep. He hit guys underneath when he needed to. And Receivers just made like, great catches, too. Yeah, some great catches. Guys sold out for it, and it was just really fun to watch. And 
you know, that was a signature game for Philip Rivers, I think. And, and you know, the argument you're hearing more and more now because of the stage of his career is, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Fame quarterback? And more and more you're hearing, yes, he is. Even though he doesn't have the hardware to back that up, like a Ben Roethlisberger or Eli Manning, two other guys from his class, he's consistently been excellent, consistently elite. And it's fun to see because he's such a good guy and, and you pull for a guy like that. It's fun to see the fruits of his labor pay off with a game like Sunday. You know, Sam, it was ironic, too, because Tony Gonzalez, before the game on Fox, yes. he said that Phillip Rivers is the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. He included, I mean, that includes Marino. That includes yeah. Jim Kelly. Then he goes out and has that performance. Then you hear guys like Tom Brady praise him. And Brett Favre said he's the most underappreciated quarterback of all time. I think folks are starting to realize in year 15, Phillip, has not only control of this team, but he's been doing this for a long time. He has, and you know, I think it points to a larger thing about the Chargers, and that is every team gropes for some hint of disrespect. And we saw, you know, most recently with the Eagles and the underdog masks and the we're all we need and the whole team motto thing, the Chargers have it gift-wrapped for them every week. They have a truckload of this arrive at the facility and dump it off every week of, you know, people, this team has flown under the radar. And we talked about this, Chris. I mean, you you talk about the Sunday night game. Listen, if Pittsburgh wins this game, people are just going to, Chargers will be, you know, the Washington Generals, whatever. They're going to be the team that nobody talks about. It's going to be, oh, yeah, it's the yeah. Steelers. Pittsburgh's Super Bowl run. Up. Here we go. What happens if the Chargers win this? I mean, it changes the whole AFC narrative. And people say, wow, this team is for real. Coming across the country, playing at a franchise that always plays well in prime time, maybe has to deal with a little weather, certainly has to deal with a, a loud environment. And, you know, there's something to me about this team that feels battle-hardened. And I think mm. part of it is they're not tethered to any kind of home field advantage. They haven't been reliant on this. They don't need to be at their home field to play their best. Well, Sam, they were on the road for five weeks, and I was on that trip with them when you go to Cleveland. And at that time, the Browns had played every game within three or four points. They blew out the Browns. You go to London, stay in Cleveland you got to beat the Titans, a hard-fought game without Melvin Gordon. Bye week, go to Seattle, get a pick six late from Desmond King. You control that game for the most part in probably the most hostile place to play. We talk about Heinz Field, Seattle's right up there with it. Yeah. And then you go to Oakland. We know Oakland's been struggling. But I think that five-week stretch has prepared them for moments like this when, you know, listen, it's not just the Steelers. We talked about it earlier, the Chiefs. Uh, you got the Ravens, you got the Bengals, and you got the Broncos on the road. So five tough games in December, but it starts in Pittsburgh, and these guys seem prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, you know, I keep looking at this team and looking at the Rams, naturally, uh, being the two L.A. teams and both doing so well. And I think, which team is better suited to make a deep run into the playoffs? I mean, the Rams are obviously very impressive in what they've done offensively and and uh, have exciting players and everything. But you look at the Chargers, the seasoned quarterback, you know, the team you have to go through right now is the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, true. I don't think the Chiefs want to play the Chargers three times. I mean, Chiefs almost lost to the Chargers in the opener. 
the, the team in the NFC is the Saints and playing in the Dome, and that's a tough place, and that might be the best team in football right now. I almost look at it and say the Chargers have a better chance uh, right now to, to make a deep run. Um, so it'll be just very interesting to watch. I just think this team is still overlooked, and you can't go to sleep on them because because they're uh, – they're really talented, and they got a great quarterback. Now they got Joey Bosa back, and so they can. They've their defense. The one thing I would say with the Steelers is, if you're the Chargers, you're really concerned about them running the ball down your throat because of the injuries. Because of Mebane's not going to be in this game because mm. Denzel Perryman. You know, are they going to play ball control in Pittsburgh and run it down your throat? I'm intrigued to see how this defense responds to December when you have a lot of tough opponents on the schedule. Joey Bosa's back. He's been back for two weeks, but I think he was officially back last week with those two sacks on Josh Rosen. He makes everything better on all three levels of the defense. I think the run defense, too. I mean, he he's really underrated in that aspect of his game. They shut the Cardinals down, 25 total yards in the second half of the Cardinals. Amazing. It's hard to believe. Even I mean, I know that the Cardinals are struggling, but this is an NFL team. Hey, team. I was you know? in I was in Kansas City a couple weeks ago uh, for the Cardinals playing there, and they made it interesting in the fourth quarter. I didn't think they were going to win, but until Rosen was picked, uh, Justin Houston picked Rosen at the line of scrimmage. They had a chance to. They were hanging in there, and so it is an NFL team, and for the Chargers to shut down the Cardinals so thoroughly really says something about this L.A. team. James Conner, though, the last two weeks, he's been slowed a little bit. So I agree with you. I'm intrigued to see how they stop the run because you have to account for James Conner. I think what the the Broncos, rather, said they did was they sold out to stop Antonio Brown and try to stop Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he had 190 yards receiving. But is that the game plan? You think try to not let 84 beat you and, and take your chances with the other guys? I, I think so. I don't look at James Conner as an, this incredibly special back. You know, I, I, to me, it's a little like DeMarco Murray a few years ago where he has a huge game against uh, – where, where he has a huge season, rather, built behind that line, and he leaves that line and he's not That line's been playing really well yeah. with Mike well, Munchak at the home. Yes. What they've done in Pittsburgh with the offensive line, uh, I think – I'm not saying you could put any back back there, but it's a little like Denver in the old days where they had a lot of 1,000-yard backs. Oh, yeah. They, they were sort of guys before – they were just guys. Name of Mike Anderson, yeah. Landis Gary, Clinton yes. Portis. I yeah, mean, this goes on and on. Absolutely. And so, I mean, James Conner has done a really nice job, but I don't think it's Le'Veon Bell back there. And so uh, it'll be very interesting. Um, see, I don't think that that's the guy who's going to kill you. Mm. But, uh, you know, certainly I could be wrong. Sam, I, I love these games, and I always love talking ball with you, just not only – this era but you know you go back 10 15 20 years ago and, and with this game so many fun storylines you talk about the class of 2004 with eli and, oh, and philip and big ben uh, they're seventh and eighth i believe in all-time passing yards respectively big ben has the two rings but you know philip we talked about his his credentials already at this point uh, i love that storyline i love the watt brothers storyline the pouncy yep. brothers storyline there, there's a lot 
to this outside of just playoff positioning. There really is. And you even go back to, to the uh, you know Chargers' only Super Bowl appearance. They had to go through Pittsburgh and beat Pittsburgh in the AFC You know what? I, I mentioned that on Twitter, and people gave me flack for that. They're like, oh, well, you know, this isn't a really a rematch. I'm like, well, it's a, it's a pretty significant time in, in the history of the Chargers. I mean, that was the place where they clinched their only Super Bowl berth in 94. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that was that was really historic. I mean, if you go back, if you want to go to all the it was coming back on the plane from that game that San Diego made the, the the agreement with the Chargers that they'd have a ticket guarantee. I mean, that really there are a lot of things that came out of that game, um, not the least of which was the Chargers' only Super Bowl appearance. So, you know, there's history there. This is a historic place. If the Chargers want to plant their flag in the sort of the story of the NFL. Yeah. This is a crown jewel franchise. It's a prime opportunity on Sunday Night Football to go out there and tilt the balance of power toward the West Coast. Because I think everybody looks at it and they say, and, and Anthony Lynn talked about it, um, talked about it today, was just, you know, you think of West Coast players, oh, they're used to the sunshine, great weather, <laughs> yeah. they can't handle it. Yeah. Uh, it would be a real slap in the face if the Chargers were to go to that place and when um, it's a prime opportunity. It really is. It's a prime opportunity for this team. Sam, the AFC, it, we talked about the Chiefs a little bit. The Steelers were rolling up until losing to the Broncos. Patriots of the Patriots, they, they dropped a few they probably shouldn't have, but they're going to be there at the end. Looking at this AFC, uh, and based on what you said about the NFC, where you have, I mean, the Saints are hotter than anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Rams are rolling. How do you look at the AFC landscape? And I think a lot will be determined Sunday if the Chargers would take care of business and get to 9-3. It looks like it's a division that could be up for grabs. Yeah. Or conference, rather, to uh, be up for grabs. Yeah, and I I think this conference sort of is the the – Usual suspects, the teams that we look at, the New Englands and the Pittsburghs, and maybe even you could stick a Baltimore in there, but teams that that are consistently hanging around, and then the sneaky teams. And I'd certainly put the Chargers at the top of the list there, but you also have to look at the Texans and and winning eight in a row and just the way they're doing it. That's a small feat, eight in a row in this league. And the Colts. The Colts are are coming on, you know, whether they are able to get in or not. But with the way that Andrew Luck's playing, that's a stingy defense. You know, T.Y. Hilton, it's uh, they're a really interesting. How about team. that story? Yeah, yeah. it's I mean, amazing. They started I mean, one and five, and you know, same with the Texans. The Texans were zero and three, and someone brought up this point. I forget who it was, but that fourth game went to overtime against, I want to say, it was the Colts, and they won that game to avoid going to 0-4, the Texans did. And then since then, the Colts have been on fire. So so both teams with that trajectory going up, it just shows you how long the course of an NFL season in the yes. ups and downs, the trials and tribulations. Absolutely. And, the, and the, uh, you know, how we try to ascertain after a few weeks which are the good teams and which are not, uh, you can't really do that because there's so many ups and downs during the season. And, and – Looking at the Colts, the way they protected Andrew Luck, I mean, it's, you know, between 2012 and 2016, there was nobody who it's took di- more it's hits a, than a football. It's a completely different operation yeah. now in Indy. And I think they've gone maybe five games without giving up a sack. Uh, and so that's a team you have to be concerned with. Certainly the Texans, we saw them come on 
now with Lamar Miller playing the way he is and Deshaun Watson looking a little bit like he did last season. That's such a loaded defense. You're concerned a little bit about the secondary there, but but they've got so much firepower up front. Um, that's a team that could could make some noise in the in the postseason. So the AFC in that logjam is really interesting. Uh, NFC is interesting too. But it seemed like last year all the storylines were in the NFC and the AFC was just kind of the Patriots. and Yeah, and everybody uh, else. Yeah, now we're getting more storylines in the AFC and certainly the Chargers. Jacksonville fell off. Oh, look at the, look at the championship teams last year. Uh, you know, you got Philadelphia, which we can get to that, but they the way they've fallen off. They don't have any cornerbacks. Yeah, and, you know, and absolutely. And you think, okay, look, at the next three weeks – L.A. is center stage on Sunday Night Football. You've got two games that we're flexed into. This week, uh, Chargers at Pittsburgh. Next week, Rams at Chicago. Both of those were flexed into, not originally planned as Sunday Night Games. The one that was planned as a Sunday Night Game, the Eagles at the Rams, they might have to flex out of that game. If Can you believe that? Which is, I don't know if they've ever flexed out of a game with a defending champion. <sighs> you know, defending champion against a team that's that's 10-1 and right now, and you're going to flex out of it. But... You know, that's certainly got to be a consideration if the Eagles lose this week on Monday Night Football to the Redskins and then are, are you know, sort of dead team walking. Yeah. Then, and if the Rams were to lock things up divisionally or maybe even get a first round bye, that's so. It's, it's just weird. A, it's a testament it's to the parody in this league. And now we, yeah. we have a Chicago Bears team that's eight and three. And how funny it is a couple of years ago. Everybody was kind of down on the Bears for drafting Mitchell Trubisky and yeah. praising the 49ers for getting Solomon Thomas and that, that extra pick that was yep. Reuben Foster. How quickly things change in a couple of years. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's why I always laugh at the at the grading the drafts. I yeah. think those are so silly. It's fun in the moment. But yeah, it's it, fun it's in the moment. Put a ton of stock out into there. it. Nobody ever goes back and looks at how people grade it or, you know, they seldom go back and, and look at the sort of revisionist historians who say, oh, yeah, I knew that was the case. But... So many times we see things that were viewed, uh, you know, even going back to the Rams and you think, oh, the cupboard's bare. All they got is uh, Gerald Everett. All they got is Cooper Cup. All they got is uh, John Johnson. And anyway, guys who all made a difference in that Monday night game against the Chiefs. It's kind of folly to say this team did poorly in the draft right away. You can go back three or four years later and say, okay, now, you know, Solomon Thomas, where's he match up? Certainly Reuben Foster, where's he match up? Uh, was that a good move? But at the time, it's it's kind of silly. It is. It's silly. All right, Sam, final thing for you. What are you looking for on, on Sunday night? What do you think is going to decide this game based on what you saw from the Chargers last week and, and throughout the season? And, and obviously a Steelers team, that uh, no bones about it, they're tough at home. Yeah, I you know there's so many elements of this thing. I think going into this without Melvin Gordon is is tough. Austin Eckler's been very effective, but can you get him going? Can you establish the run, get the play action going, and get those receivers involved like you did last week? Can they get to Ben Roethlisberger and get him down? Um, uh, all those things I think are quite possible for the Chargers, and so. If you can take the crowd, if the Chargers can take the crowd out of the game early and not make this a Pittsburgh coronation, uh, don't make it like last week where they fall behind 10 nothing. Because yeah. if that 
crowd's engaged and it's loud and, and team loses its confidence. So I think what happens in the first half and in the first quarter is going to be critical for the Chargers projecting out to the whole game because if they fall behind early, they could be in trouble. But, hey, you know, like I said, this is a battle-hardened team. This is a team that in some ways, let's face it, has played 16 road games, is, is, is a team that is not reliant on a home field advantage. So I think those teams travel well. And like, like Anthony Lynn said today, this team's built for December. And so we'll see. We're going to yeah. find out. First game for them in December. Gets no better than December football in How Pittsburgh awesome Sunday. That's going to be fun, Sam. Can't yeah. wait for it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up in Pittsburgh. Sounds great. Thanks, Chris. All right, to get this week's opposing view, we bring in a gentleman who knows the Pittsburgh Steelers better than anybody. He's covered the team for 33 years. Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette joins me on Chargers Weekly. Ed, how we doing, sir? I'm great, Chris. Um, thanks for having me on, on here. Uh, I'm grateful for the time. Ed, let's start with last Sunday where, similar to the Chargers, the Steelers' 16 winning streak came to an end by the hands of the Broncos. They lost 24-17. And again, like the Chargers, the Steelers had opportunities to win it. What were the reasons that prevented them from making it seven straight? Yeah, that loss was more at the hands of the Steelers, um, I think, Chris, because uh, – they did. They moved the ball up and down the field, over 500 yards in offense. Uh, they they blew a, one touchdown when their third-string tight end, Xavier Grimble, was wide open. He caught the ball. Um, it would have been a 24-yard touchdown, except uh, he fumbled at the one mm. when he was hit by a safety and fumbled the ball into the end zone and out of bounds. And it's a crazy rule, but... Uh, nobody recovered it, but uh, by rule, that, that goes back to the 20-yard line. It's a touchback, not a touchdown. Um, and they had a field goal block. Denver did a good job of that, but the Steelers, uh, James Conner lost another fumble deep in uh, ter- uh, Denver territory, and then Ben Roethlisberger threw that interception. You've probably seen at the goal line. It would have tied it if they could have scored a touchdown there at the end. So... Uh, turnovers were four to nothing, and that was the story of that tale. There you go. And, and also, w- when Chris Boswell's throwing touchdown passes to Villanueva, you know it's a it's kind of a wacky game, huh? <laughs> right. It was. Uh, that's the first uh, first offensive lineman to catch a touchdown pass for the Steelers in 35 years, Chris. Uh, unbelievable. You know what? We heard a lot about the Broncos doubling A.B., trying to take he and Juju Smith-Schuster out of the game and then letting everybody else beat you. Was that the Broncos' strategy that they tried to employ on Sunday, Ed? Well, that's what they said they tried to do. They didn't do a very good job of uh, covering Juju Smith-Schuster, though. Uh, he had, what, and, close to 190 yards? Yeah, 97 uh, on, one, on one play, right? Yeah, yeah, 97 on that one play. And, uh, you know, Antonio Brown uh, did catch nine passes, but they didn't go very far. I think his longest was 14. Um, but, he, you know, he he has a lot of receivers, Chris, that he goes to. I think he threw to, well, he didn't. Kind of the guys who caught it, Boswell threw the touchdown pass, the kicker. Uh, there were nine different receivers, um, and they threw to 10. The only one they threw to who didn't catch, it was a rookie, James Washington, who, uh, who was, you know, from, from out that way, and 
uh, I just don't think that um, uh, I don't think he even has a number one receiver anymore. He, he's pressed the ball around so much. Well, this one's a big-time game, Ed. What are the Steelers saying about facing the Chargers? Uh, a lot of similarities between these two teams when you talk about winners of 6-7. of seven, You got the quarterbacks from the class of 2004. Both teams jacking for playoff positioning with, with about the same record. Yeah, they. Uh, you know, the one thing, the Steelers have a, you know, a, a better command of their division, obviously, because Kansas City's in the AFC West, and the Steelers have already lost them. In fact, the Steelers are 0-2 against... AFC West teams, and they have Los Angeles and uh, Oakland over the next two weeks. So they know how big this is. Um, you know, they still they still want to try and get a seed. That loss to Denver hurt them a whole lot the other day. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, they they uh, they have some big games coming up, and uh, the Chargers are are one of them. You know, this Steelers team, some weeks, they look dominant. And, you know, we, I, I go back to that Carolina game a few weeks ago on Thursday night, and I know Hines Field's a tough place to play regardless. What's been the story with this team? You know, you have the Le'Veon Bell situation that is, is finally over. Uh, it didn't seem like it was a distraction because they had won six straight. Uh, what's the pulse of this team now as we enter week 13? You know, Chris, basically it's as, as Ben Roethlisberger goes, so go the Steelers. Um, you know, when he's on, uh, they're tough to beat. Uh, they, he was terrible you know, the previous week for three quarters against Jacksonville. And then he looked like Superman at the end. They were down 16 nothing, and he just he pulled it out for him. Um, the other night, he, was, he looked really, really good, and they should have scored a whole lot more points. But, you know, there were two interceptions there, both toward Antonio Brown and actually Ben uh, Ben complained that the official on one and Brown was grabbed and that's why that one was picked off and then he he also uh, said that Brown didn't run a good route which uh, on the second one the last one in the end zone which is unusual for him to criticize Antonio Brown but he did mm. and what do you think is going to decide this game uh, what's been deciding games for the Steelers Chris are turnovers um, and that that's not uh that's nothing new. Um, you know, you could go probably look at one stat from every NFL game and pretty much figure out who won or lost by the number of turnovers. Um, Steelers have been committing a lot, and they have not. I just wrote this uh, in the Post-Gazette on, uh, on Wednesday, that they have not forced turnovers. It's not, it used to be a ball hawking team. You know, Southern Cal's Troy Palomalo and uh, James Harrison just freaking have it, turn it, get creating turnovers. They don't do that anymore. They have 12 this year, six interceptions, only two by starting members of the secondary. So uh, that, that's been a big issue for them. And, and Mike Tomlin brought that up big time at his press conference this week. Well, Ed, we can't thank you enough for your time. Really appreciate it, and look forward to seeing you on Sunday night. It's going to be a big one. Yeah, it is, Chris. Uh, you know, the Steelers have the Chargers. They have New England at home. They have to go to the Saints. Uh, they, they, they have some tough games yet, and, uh, you know, the, the end of this story has certainly got a long way to go. All right, my next guest will be on the call this Sunday night for Chargers-Steelers. The great Al Michaels joins me on Chargers Weekly. Al, we got a great one. This one got flexed. How are you? 
I'm great, and I'm uh, glad we got flexed because the original game was San Francisco at Seattle, which does not have quite <laughs> much buzz or appeal or interest as does the Chargers against uh, Pittsburgh. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be great. This one's got a lot of meat on the bone in terms of storylines. What do you gravitate towards first, Al? Well, there are two ways to look at this game for us. Number one, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers, who we've had so many times through the years. And people know a lot about the Steelers. We've had Ben Roethlisberger on national television. I can't even count the number of times. And Antonio Brown and and people like that. And Mike Tomlin's been coaching there a long time. But what's going to be a lot of fun for Chris and for me and for Michelle this week is the fact that the Chargers get so little national television exposure that people really need to be, you know, reintroduced to somebody like Philip Rivers and introduced to people like Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Austin Eckler, of course, this week will come into the, the spotlight. Not that you want him there because obviously you, you know, you'd like that Melvin Gordon, but that's not going to be the case. But uh, there are a lot of great stories about the Chargers, and we look at it as a kind of like painting uh, from, a, uh, from a, a fresh palette because uh, a lot of these colors haven't been used in a while. Some great stories out there with Anthony Lynn and, and everybody else. So uh, it's a lot of fun. We, we're doing a team that people know a lot about against a team that people know very little about. How, what's the pro- I talked to Michelle Tafoya yesterday about this, the process of just digging in and working a game featuring a team that you haven't seen in a while. How enjoyable is that process for you? You mentioned the last time the Chargers were on Sunday Night Football, it was December 2014, and I believe there was only six current Chargers on this active roster uh, that were in that game. Yeah, so we've gone back, and, you know, I keep an eye on all the teams in the league and living in Southern California. You know, I... I, I get to, to watch the Chargers maybe a little bit more, kind of watch the shoulder programming, you pay a lot of attention to them, uh, local paper and all of that. So uh, I'm probably a little bit more up to speed on a team like the Chargers because of my geographical proximity to them than I would be from some other team that we haven't had in a lot of years. So we go back, and I've, I've taken a look at a lot of uh, games on tape, uh, done a tremendous amount of reading, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of the people inside the organization, which is terrific. You know, we've met with Philip Rivers through the years. We'll meet with the key guys on Saturday in Pittsburgh. So we'll be up to speed by the time we get there. And then, uh, as we always say, uh, you're ready. You've got everything uh, set. You can tell any number of stories. And then, as my old buddy and partner, John Madden, used to say, a game breaks out. So that game will be breaking out at about 5.15 Pacific on uh, on Sunday night. There you go. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. And, of course, class of 2004, you got Phillip Rivers, you got Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I had a conversation with Peter King earlier today, too, and we were just talking about how it's so funny to look back in 2004, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers in the same quarterback's room. You fast forward 15 years later, Probably outside of Patrick Mahomes, you go one and two in MVP consideration from the quarterback position. Just how how well is Phillip playing based on all the games that you've seen throughout his career? Well, twenty eight out of twenty nine is pretty good. That's I don't pretty care. good. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, twenty eight out of twenty nine with with nobody defending is still pretty good. So, I mean, he's obviously coming off a spectacular game. He's played extremely well this year. That's no surprise to the people who follow the Chargers. And it's, uh, it is ironic that all these years later, you've got Breeze, you've got Rivers, and, and, and in that you know, discussion of MVPs, too, 
you know, you mentioned Roethlisberger, who's part of the 2004 draft class. You know, not that Ben is going to be the front runner, but I mean, he's having a, another great year. You know, coming off a game in which he lost the game, but he still threw for over 400 yards. So you, you have a great quarterback matchup in this game. I mean, it's it's uh, probably as good as it's going to get it at this particular point in the season. But you're right with that Breeze situation. Uh, I do know one thing: if it's the Saints and the Chargers in the Super Bowl. You know what the number one storyline will be. Everybody does. I think we know. <laughs> I think we know. And you know, those guys, uh, the last two years out, the Saints come out to Costa Mesa for training camp, and they're doing that quarterback challenge. It's just, it's so cool to see because you never know when it's, when's the last time you're going to see them on a field together. And same with, with Ben. I talked to Michelle about this as well. Uh, we just don't know if this is the last time we see Rivers and Roethlisberger on the field together. Of course, it could happen in, in five weeks, first round of the wild card, but you just never know. No, you don't, and that's why we were so excited earlier this year when the schedule came out and we got that Sunday night game between New England and Green Bay, and we obviously knew what that meant. That was going to be Brady against Rodgers. Now, they'd only faced each other you know, one time before, so I, I would assume, uh, unless there's some vagary in the schedule, depending on how a team finishes in, in a uh, position in their division over the years, they're going to meet once every four years. So the fact that, you know, you look at Tom Brady, he'd like to play at least 45, maybe there'll be one more brady Rogers meeting, but you never know when you're going to get one, and we got one this year, and it turned out to be a heck of a game, and so, you know, anytime you can get a quarterback matchup with all of these uh, uh, backstories going and sidebars, it's great for, it's great for us on television. You mentioned you get to see the Chargers a little bit more often being in Southern California, but you've called a number of games with these elite AFC teams. We talk about the Steelers, the Patriots, the the Chiefs, even the Texans, winners of eight straight. How do you think the Chargers measure up with some of the powers that we've seen over the years in the AFC, starting with the Steelers and Patriots? I think think pretty well right now. I mean, uh, I I look at the the conference and you see – you know, Pittsburgh, uh, they started out very slowly. The Le'Veon Bell story was the overriding story uh, throughout the course of the early season. Now we know that that's done. Uh, they've been able to withstand that. They worked through that. You've got uh, uh, James Conner having a, a good year, Roethlisberger having a pretty much a typical Roethlisberger year. You know, Brown is Brown, and Juju Smith-Schuster you know, it appears to be ascending to the point, and you know Ben mentioned it on his radio show the other day that he may be—he uh, didn't say he was going to be their their number one receiver, but he mentioned everybody on the roster, which indicated to me that uh, you know there's some—I uh, don't want to say disparity, but Juju Smith Schuster is a guy who's capable of you know, scoring on an 80-yard touchdown reception, as is Brown. So they've got some you know terrific guys. They've got a defense that has been a little bit up and down this year. The Patriots, uh, the one thing about them, no matter how they look on any given week, somehow, some way, uh, they're always there in January. Uh, the Texans, we got to see them early in the season. In fact, they were uh, they were 0-3 at that point, beat the Cowboys in overtime. That got them started. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a scramble here. And then there's Kansas City. Uh, we've had them a couple of times this year. They've been great. I mean, it's a fantastic team to watch. Uh, Andy Reid, I mean, he has all of the toys. I mean, he's got a quarterback who is going to be at the on the top level for, you know, God knows how long. I mean, this kid's just starting. He's phenomenal. Tyreek Hill is something very special. Uh, you've got the, the tight end, Kelsey, who's, who's as good as it gets at that position. 
You've got Kareem Hunt coming out of the backfield. Their offense is scary. I don't have to tell you that. I mean, they score 51 and lose a game. So uh, we had them against New England. They scored 40 and lost the game. So that team is going to score. The question about that team is defense. You know, can they stop anybody? And uh, that's why it's going to be so interesting down the stretch. Yeah, the, the Chargers, not only you got the Steelers Sunday, but you have a Thursday night date with the Chiefs in a couple of weeks. You got the Ravens, you got the Broncos. So it's a difficult December for the Chargers, but, uh, out, you know, they've proven to be able to win on the road. They had that five week stretch in the middle of the year where you go to Cleveland when, when Cleveland was playing teams pretty tough. Uh, you go to London, you go to Seattle, you go to Oakland, you go 4 0 away from Los Angeles. Do you think that can help them at all as they get? to December, to play in a hostile environment. You've been to Heinz Field at night. You know how that place is. Yeah, it's tough. And I guess the other win uh, the Chargers had, too, was at Buffalo, and they routed them uh, early in the season. Um, Yeah, I mean, Heinz Field, it's it's a home field advantage. Is it any greater than most of the home fields I have seen? I don't think so. I mean, they get people excited, and, uh, you know, the music is great, and, there's a different vibe in there, but um, the Chargers are going to be used to this. I mean, there's a different vibe in in almost every stadium. Uh, and I think, you know, most of these guys are professionals. They're used to it. Uh, they know how to handle it. And the weather is supposed to be pretty good in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, what I'm looking at here is maybe 50 degrees or 48 degrees at game time. That's not bad. It's a heck of a lot better than going in, you know, with sleet and snow and rain and whatever else you can get between 25 and 35 degrees or even less. So, I mean, the conditions should set up, you know, pretty favorably, and, you know, they'll just tee it up at uh, at 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific. We'll see what happens. Al Michaels, NBC. Al, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, we're really looking forward to, to seeing you on Sunday, and it should be a good one. You bet. Thanks. All right, guys, we'll close the show with Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy, but a quick break to let you know that this season we've taken Chargers Weekly to the next level. That's because I'm using Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2 on air now. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps me block out distractions and brings you the latest news on the LA Chargers. And when I'm not recording, I tell you every week, these are my go-to wireless headphones. They help me block out noise. I'll use them cross-country on the team plane so I can concentrate on my game prep and, of course, bring you that next episode of Chargers Weekly. Visit Bose.com Chargers to learn more about the most powerful Bose headphones yet. Bose, the official headphones of the NFL. All right, it's a real pleasure to be joined by Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy here on Chargers Weekly. And coach, we were just talking about it, a big one on NBC Sunday night. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. And looking forward to having the Chargers back on with us. You had reminded me it's been since 2014. I knew it had been a while, but didn't realize it was that long. So I know, 24 24- excited. 2014 coach I think it was the Patriots and Chargers in December of 2014 but you know before we get in that matchup I want to brag on you a little bit because the trio of you Rodney and Mike Tirico was just fantastic on Thanksgiving night for Falcon Saints what was it like for you to go from the studio to the booth for the night it was exciting uh and it was fun but I'll tell you it was nerve-wracking for me because obviously um Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth set a very high bar. When people tune in, they expect excellence. And so Rodney and I were sitting there thinking, boy, we, you know, we've got to have a good game. We can't mess this up. Uh, so it was a little bit, I was, I was nervous, but I had a great time doing it and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Well, Coach, you did a great job, first of all. But let's move to Sunday. 
Pittsburgh Chargers. These are two AFC powers right now. Uh, what are you looking for in this matchup? I think it's going to be a great one because of styles and contrasting styles and what uh, the teams do well. Uh, the L.A. Chargers have been very, very good at explosive plays, and the Steelers have given up a lot of big plays, especially in the passing game. Uh, the Chargers can rush the passer. The Steelers have all these offensive weapons as well, and when Ben gets time, uh, he can carve people up. So I think you've got strength against strength, and uh, with you know coming into December with playoff matchups on the line, uh, it, we couldn't have a better game. Coach, I want to ask you about uh, Philip Rivers. Obviously, he had that that twenty five consecutive during the the Arizona Cardinals game. The, the Chargers won forty five to ten. What can you say about Philip in the season that he's had in, in year fifteen? Probably having his best season of his career. He really is playing well, and what we saw last Sunday was something that I really don't expect from Philip Rivers because he's such a guy who pushes the ball up the field. He wants the big plays. He's not uh, just a dump off guy. So, you know, you expect him to throw for 350 yards. That's not uncommon, but to have 25 completions at row, um, you know, with a guy who's actually throwing the ball up the field, you don't expect that. I thought he was just outstanding. As a coach, how do you prepare your guys for a Sunday night game? Because you want to treat every game the same. I realize that, Coach, but there's a there's a little added juice because it's Sunday night. It's a national game. It's nationally televised. The, the world is watching, and I think the players take note of that to an extent. How do you keep them on the task at hand, uh, just taking care of business and not worried about uh, too much of the outside noise? There is uh, something special about playing night games, whether it's Sunday night or Monday night. Most players are in their routine. Hey, you get up, you eat breakfast, you get yourself ready to go. Well, now you you watch all the games, and then you go to the stadium, and you're playing, and you realize you're the only team that's playing right now, and the rest of the country is watching you. So that, with competitors, brings something out of them. And then you throw in the standings and the fact that you're playing in Pittsburgh, and this could be for uh, playoff home field advantage. Uh, you know, if we play these guys again, will it be in Pittsburgh or will it be in uh, L.A.? So that becomes a factor. And then you, you just want to give your best when the whole nation is watching. So, yes, as a coach, you've got to make sure you keep everybody calm down and say, this is important, this is big, but let's just play our game. Coach, I had a conversation with Peter King earlier today, and we talked about Anthony Lynn a little bit. And since Thanksgiving, the Chargers are 13-4. and Coach Lynn has brought a discipline to this team. He's got this locker room believing. How would you assess the job that he's done in his second year with the Chargers? Well, he's, he's been very, very good this year, but I thought he was outstanding last year. Last year kind of reminded me of my first year in Tampa. We started off 0-5, and, and then we went to 1-8. and But by the end of the year, our nucleus, our foundation was set, and the guys were playing well, and we won some games at the end of the year, and it catapulted us into the playoffs the next year. I thought that was just what was going to happen here. The team lost some games last year at the beginning that could have really taken the heart out of the group. But they continued to play hard. By the, by the end of the year, nobody really wanted to play them. And I, I thought for sure this would be a playoff team, just the way they finished up. So you had a little bit of the same thing, where you, you have a, a tough 
start. You play Kansas City, who's really good. Uh, you have some kicking game issues that maybe hurt you a little bit, but no one pointed the finger. No one got di- discouraged. Everybody, you could see how hard this team was playing, that they believed in what they're doing. And it, it's been pretty awesome to see from afar. I want to ask you about two Chargers defenders. Obviously, Joey Bosa, uh, he came back a couple of weeks ago. He had two sacks against the Cardinals last Sunday. And Derwin James looks like to be the, the defensive rookie of the year at this point. There's a lot of guys. The, the guy in Indianapolis, Leonard, has been fantastic as well. But how would you assess those two guys uh, this year? I know Joey's a smaller sample size, but, but Derwin has been making plays since week one. Well, I'll start with Derwin because Rodney Harrison is on his bandwagon. We're going to do a piece on Derwin uh, on the show. Rodney thinks, like you do, that he should be the defensive rookie of the year. Rodney knows safety play, and he is excited about Derwin James. So I'm looking forward to watching him and zeroing in on him and see if we can uh, circle him a few times in our broadcast. And uh, Joey Bosa is just one of those guys who who can change things. Uh, Again, I compare it to uh, our team's. Uh, Our Super Bowl year, Bob Sanders was out for a long period of time. And when he came back, it just elevated our whole defensive play enough to get us to the Super Bowl. And I think Joey is one of those type of talents where, you know, you've got a good defense, you've got guys who play hard, they're very sound. But now you, you bring that missing ingredient, that guy who can make that big play just when you need it. Um, I think he can, can take this defense to another level. Another guy you're very familiar with, Coach, he spent seven seasons with Tom Telesco at the Colts. He's done an outstanding job building this football team. He's hit on a ton of draft picks, but really the undrafted free agents, we'll see one up close in Austin Eckler against the Steelers. Uh, What can you say about Tom and and the job that he's done with the Chargers since he's been here? Tom has been fantastic, and of course he learned from one of the best in Bill Poland. That's right. Uh, but it's interesting, I was you know, talking with Tom the other day uh, via text, and we were going back and forth, and he told me he used the same blueprint that Bill used. He knew he had an elite quarterback there, so hey, I've got to put some weapons around him. But let's look at the defense, see if we can get young, energetic, fast guys who really hit, and then get a couple of pass rushes. We had Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. And when you take Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, you've got the same type of guys who can uh, create havoc up front. And then you just try to be solid and sound, and you do try to build that roster from 1 through 53. And what they've done with some, as you say, the undrafted free agents, the the free agents, uh, NFL free agents, maybe weren't household names, but added just what this team needed. I think Tom's been uh, outstanding. How important are those guys, Coach, when you're trying to build something, you're trying to get to a Super Bowl? Because, you know, a lot of those those first-round picks, they get all the accolades, especially when they get drafted. But it really it goes 1-53, to 53, and those are the types of players that will end up making plays to get you over the hump. No, no question about it. Uh, and you're always going to have to count on those guys. And, um, you know, this is a great uh, example this week where you've got um, Melvin Ingram, who's been phenomenal, and now he's hurt, and you're playing maybe the biggest game of the year so far, and you've got a back in Austin that everybody has confidence in. He can do a lot of the same thing, and he's going to go in and play well, and they aren't going to change the offense at all. They're going to continue to do what they do, and that, that's unbelievable to have that there. 
and, and that is just foresight on the part of the front office, coaching staff, uh, developing Austin, and having everyone think, you know what, we, yeah, we, we're going to miss Melvin Gordon. Anybody would miss a, a great player like that. But we aren't going to change, and this guy's going to do uh, just, just fantastic when he steps in. Coach, we'll get you out of here on this. Again, Sunday night, there's a ton of storylines, uh, really just two good teams. Uh, what do you think is going to decide this one? I think, obviously, the turnovers and taking care of the football. Um, you know, both teams are explosive. Both teams want to push the ball up the field in the passing game. Uh, both teams have guys who can make plays. They have defenders who are dangerous and can create takeaways. So is it going to be Phillip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger that can be aggressive and attack and make those plays up the field but not be reckless and turn the ball over? And uh, I think that that's who's going to win. And I haven't made up my mind yet. Usually by Wednesday or <laughs> Thursday I have my pick all set. But this game is going to be so close, and I keep going back and forth. Well, I like the Chargers because of this. Well, I like the Steelers because of this. And they are at home. And, you know, all the factors that go through your mind. But I think this is going to be a great game. That's a cliffhanger for Sunday night, Coach. We'll have to wait for your pick uh, on the studio show, correct? (laughs) Yes, you got to tune tune in and watch the show. We always pick about five minutes before game time. And I think this one's going to go right down to the wire for me. I love it. Well, Coach, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we look forward to a big win at Heinz Field. Hey, thank you very much, and please uh, say hi to Antonio and Philip for me. Uh, I made a comment last week. I've been retired 10 years, and those were the two guys that knocked me out in my last playoff game, and they're still playing. So I, I just really have a lot of respect for those guys. Oh, and I'm sure it, it goes both ways. You're a class act, Coach. Thanks so much. All right, thanks. That'll do it. A big thanks to Tony Dungy, Sam Farmer, Ed Bouchette, Michelle Tafoya, Al Michaels, and Peter King for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please help spread the word. Enjoy the game on Sunday night, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.